Bravo, good morning. Good morning, bro. How you doing? I am not bad. I'm not bad at all. It's been a good week. I am off for Christmas and the new year, even though I am stuck in a prison that is my house, like most people in in London. But I'm very grateful that I'm very, very grateful for some for much needed rest at the end of the year. How about you? How are you getting on? I'm well on the most part, um, although I have become a painter and decorator in my free time. So in the past couple of days, <laughs> I've been renovating the house, a house which did not need to be renovated. Um, and there have been so many lessons. So, 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 so many lessons. Um, I had tradesmen in who were doing the work. Um, first lesson, never be outworked by your boss. Now, they're no longer here. They're, they're gone. <laughs> they're, they're gone. They, yeah, they were dispatched of on Friday. Um, I, I could no longer stand outworking people who I was paying. So all jokes aside, literally people, ne- never be outworked by your boss because you, you suddenly put your boss in a very uncomfortable position of questioning why you're being paid. Yep. Um, <laughs> second, um, a lot more philosophical lesson. Whilst sanding, was painting, um, I, was, I was listening to uh, Robert Peterson um, just talk about the, the 12 habits to life or 12 lessons to life. And it wasn't necessarily my thoughts on what he was saying, which is potentially a book that I recommend everyone reads and one that we maybe do a, a review on here on Expensive Lessons. I was thinking about the process of painting and how this could potentially be something that I do every couple of years with my children mm. in, in an act of me getting us to both do something which is unbelievably mundane requires a great deal of patience and forces us to actually be together for several hours whilst speaking on some occasions on other occasions not saying a word on other occasions listening to something which is thought-provoking and guiding them to see that daddy was terrible at this at some point i'm going to show you literally how daddy developed a new skill out of desperation but it can all be learned and you are now going to go through the process of learning it whilst daddy will show you exactly how he made specific mistakes and how he rectified them and how some are being hidden from mummy <laughs> but yeah again all jokes aside i just found that that would was a note for a future lesson of mine to, to do this again but with my kids and to get them to see that all can be learned so what was the name of that book again oh yes so it's um the 12 it's either the 12 habits of life or the 12 secrets of life i strongly recommend that people read this book it is 12 rules for life um oh is, jordan peterson jordan peterson yeah uh, yeah it, uh, at, at some point, potentially in the new year, um, we might do a review on it. It probably mm. will take a few episodes. We'll try to condense it down to two. But there are so many succinct and practical life lessons for all of us, especially if you're someone right now who is actively aware of living below what you feel you can do. Mm, well interestingly enough the author of that book um he is a very polarizing figure now i read the book and just thought it was fantastic but it turns out that for many reasons um people have pushed back against some of the commentary within the Mm. book um so i think you're right i don't want to tackle that now but i think it's definitely worth us going into that because i think there's a lot of lessons that you can take from the book and also a lot of discussion that you can have around some of his more controversial points. And there are some very controversial points in there. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I agree that, yeah, um, when it comes to painting, as much as it is quite monotonous and arduous, there's a lot of lessons that you can get from it. Um, I recently painted my living room and the act of going through the motions of painting leads to a lot of questions. I think one is stakeholder management in the fact that the color that you decide to paint your living room or whatever room is going to be there for (laughs) potentially decades. Um, 
therefore making sure that it's something which is appealing but also uh, vaguely rate somewhat neutral is really important um, and then the preparation that needs to be done before you start painting I think a lot of people similar it's almost a metaphor for life a lot of people want to get to the action and start yep. painting the wall straight away but there has to be a lot of preparation that yep. is done beforehand if you're actually going to have a positive outcome um, which is probably the more painful part the, the masking around the sides yeah. the sanding the walls the purchasing of the correct uh, primer all of these types of things have to be done first before you actually get to your oh I'm going to paint the walls so yes yeah, it's it's, it, it, it's one that I never thought to involve my kids in, but I see why you've, you've mentioned that because I think it's definitely something where there's a lot of underlying messages that you don't necessarily pick up on. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Now, we've got an interesting episode for people today. Um, it's come off the back of some lived experience on your end, Afalabi. Do you want to talk about your thought process? Yes. So we are coming to the end of 2020. Um, to some people, they might say, thank God. And at the beginning of 2021, many of us are going to start thinking about new goals, new ambitions, new starts. And literally for me, I'm going to have a new start in my passion, in my industry. So I'm moving into a new senior leadership position in education, um, moving to a school which has a good reputation, but it's fair to say is currently underachieving in terms of what it could be. Uh, for the football fans out there, it really should be a Bayern Munich, but it's currently a Brighton. I'm going to step in after going through a rather rigorous interview process lasting over two days as the first senior leadership recruit that they've had for 16 years. And I know that my first 100 days are gonna be critical. In the same way that for many people who are um, high performers within their career or budding entrepreneurs, your first quarter after actually launching will be critical. Yes, you, like I, would have done an, an immense amount of research prior, focusing on soft and hard data that you can gather, but None of it really matches the lived experience, which is after launch day. Once all the cameras have gone, the, the balloons have gone, once all of the, the pageantry actually happened and you are actually now live, what now? And what um, I think I've been discussing is okay, how can we actually uh, succinctly present this into practical steps which we are learning um, and we are living through to help all those who are about to start new initiatives, about to lead in new ways, about to launch new ideas. Yeah, and so with that, this is a behind the scenes conversations brought right in front of the scenes. With, with that, I thought, okay, well, within business, we're always starting new projects. There's often occasions where the teams are reshuffled and we have to deliver a project with a cross-functional team or a team that we've never worked with before. And we have to deliver a positive outcome. Unfortunately for us, there is a positive framework which has been devised to help people achieve that. And the framework I'm talking about is the Tuckman model or the Tuckman framework. Many of you probably heard it without realizing what it is. Um, it's broken down into four, sometimes five stages, but I'm going to stick to four. Um, and it's four stages which demonstrate the trajectory or the flow of a project or an initiative. So this can be related to joining a new environment or just starting a new product line, working with what you have or recruiting a completely new team. So the way that split out is looking into four different sections and what we've decided is for each of those sections we're going to have an episode. So we're talking about forming, storming, norming 
and performing. Yes, it all rhymes, which makes life a lot easier to, to, to or it makes it a lot easier to remember. Um, and today we're going to start off by talking about forming. So what do, what do we mean by forming? So forming refers to actually laying out your resources and building a way of working within your team. And that's what we're going to focus this episode on. So once again, everybody, welcome to another episode of Expensive Lessons, where company directors share the fruit of their labor, share the lessons they've learned during their long uh, and interesting uh, careers up to this point. And we really hope that you can get some benefit out of it. So I think this is probably one of the more interactive sessions because it can go off in so many different areas. So feel free during the week to send us some notes, send us your thoughts so that potentially during the next episode when we tackle storming, we can actually make sure that we're addressing some of the key challenges that you face. So back to forming. First of all, Afalabi, when we're talking about forming, as I've mentioned, it's all about understanding the resources at your disposal and ensuring that they're working at their optimum for you. Now you're stepping into a new space. Tell me about what that looks like in terms of the resources at your disposal. Yes. So there, there are two schools of thoughts here. Um, there's one which heavily focuses on people, which we're, what we're going to discuss today. And there's another which heavily focuses on systems and structures. And during this step of forming, it's a deep analysis of both, the deep analysis of the strengths and abilities of both. So practically, on a day-to-day -day basis, this is me actively listening and attempting to learn and acquire new knowledge about the specific stakeholders in play. Practically, this will include me trying to arrange as many one-to-one -one meetings as possible with all stakeholders. Um, particularly the key stakeholders, to understand their behaviours, to understand their interests, to understand their position within this industry, to understand their history, what has happened previously from their perspective, which might be extremely valuable moving forward or <laughs> completely irrelevant moving forward. But it's acknowledging and being humble enough to appreciate that I have to be the listener here even in that position of leadership, um, to effectively serve and to ensure that everyone is actually moving along with you, rapport and relationship must be built. Um, it, and that can only happen with human beings through them seeing that you have an active interest in them and their capabilities. It is only then that you're able to acknowledge whether what you have pre-thought, pre-designed as the, the secret nugget the key to success is actually the key to success, or you're applying something which isn't actually apt in this environment. Now, in some instances, what you might be wishing to apply, you know wholeheartedly that it's going to work. It has worked elsewhere. This, this, this strategy is just the way to do it. But they need to learn how to apply it. And you thus then need to be able to almost do a SWOT analysis of them, all key stakeholders, the team players, to identify where the potential pitfalls are in them accurately applying this strategy. Um, to almost use a sporting analogy, there's no point being the coach of the leading tennis player, um, the leading football team, the leading golfer, and attempting to give the same speech you gave to your elite athlete to a group of 10-year-olds because they're just not there at that point. Now that might seem extreme patronizing to refer to 10 year olds, but that initial meeting is to understand where people are in terms of their skills, their knowledge, and potentially even their morale. You could have someone who's highly effective at what they do, but their morale has been shot and thus they are currently inept. Now, you listening to them being described as inept could cloud your judgment without you having that initial one-to-one -one meeting um, to almost be able to diagnose their strengths and their abilities. Now, will that happen in the first meeting? Possibly not, but through time actively attempting to review their capabilities, you might see that actually this is someone who is just needing specific guidance or support to maximize their capabilities.
So in so, short, those one-to-one -one meetings. So, so you mentioned, I think you're absolutely right that it's important to hit the ground running with those one-to-one -one meetings. And I've got two questions here. So I think the first point is just around the fact that you've mentioned how important it is to develop a relationship with the people that you're working with. Now, some people listening to this might be quite weary of that and say, well, this is work. I don't really need to develop anything beyond a professional relationship with this individual. What would you say in response to people who think that maybe the, the warm and cuddly approach isn't appropriate in the workplace? I think it depends on the connotations that we have with the word relationship. So if our definition of relationship is one which is mutually beneficial, where all parties feel as if they're making progress, then that should be a professional relationship. Um, it doesn't have to be coined as a, a cuddly relationship where truths aren't being told. I think from my experiences, I've learned that people will follow you more so than anything else based on your core moral purpose, based on who you are. Yes, there are many people who follow you for your title. There are others who will follow you because of your historical results. Some who might follow you because of um, just charisma and charm. But the, the, the elite leaders are followed because of their core values and moral purpose. And this says something um, psychologically about us as human beings. We want to do better, and there is something intrinsic about us which wants to do good. Is the organisation you are supporting doing some element of good? Um, irrespective of what it might be, it could be some of the largest corporations like Apple, and some people might think, okay, oh, there's no good there, but the, the, the mission statement might be to ensure that every single person has an access to the, the greatest technology for them to realize their own potential. Now that has been spun as good moral purpose. That requires relationship. They need to know who you are and what you stand for. And once they do, when you do mess up in the future, when you do get it wrong, they will go back to that moral purpose. Um, for those who are really interested about this, uh, John Maxwell has written about the five steps of leadership. I strongly recommend that you, you read it because it distinguishes those who lead via titles and those who lead via purpose. The greatest leaders that you could potentially imagine, people follow them because of their core values and moral purpose. I think that's a really impo important point. And I was going to ask another question before I ask that question. I want to ask this one. What is your view of leaders messing up? So some people have the belief or expectation that leaders don't make mistakes or a leader making a mistake is an absolute travesty. What's your view on that? If they haven't, it's because you don't know about it or it's been covered up. Um, Martin Luther King was an adulterer. Uh, Steve Jobs had many challenges as a, as a father. Uh, the reality is we're, we're human beings and we make mistakes. We all do. Some minor on a daily basis, others huge um, instances where you completely drop the ball. But through your moral purpose, core values, and your competency, you're continuing to develop credit in the eyes and the wallet of other people. So when you do make that mistake, there is that you don't go into a deficit. It's the people who haven't developed that credit who, when they make that mistake, they're completely written off because there's mm. nothing for people to go back to to say, you know, I know what he or she stands for. Yeah, they've made the mistake, but we're going to make it work. I've had instances personally where I've dropped the ball and I've held my hand up to the team. And it's incredible how people rally around to try to save the day, completely forgetting your part in the error and focusing solely on the error itself and how it needs to be rectified. And I'd argue the reason that that's happened and the focus hasn't been on me and it's been on the, the situation is because of character. They understand that, oh, do you know what, he's bailed me out on so many occasions. <laughs> he's, he's actually been human. He's actually listened and heard what I am saying and what I'm not saying. 
he's he's allowed me to have that day where I'm actually being terrible and because of other situations. He's also challenged me to actually be better than I, I could potentially be and held me accountable. And this is a time that I can help him. That reciprocity then, it pays dividends in the long run. Yeah, definitely. I think there's almost an uh, the concept of a but for the grace of God mindset when people look at you and see that you've you've maybe made a mistake. Whenever I give people coaching around standing up and presenting to large groups of people, which is one of one of the biggest fears in business that I think I come across. If people are afraid of anything in business, it's the idea that they might have to stand up and present something to a group of peers. And the advice that I give people, or the encouragement that I give people, is to understand that 90% of the people watching you present are so glad that it's not them. <laughs> Very true. And as a result, if you were to make a mistake, if you were to maybe fumble on your words, etc., so long as you approach it with confidence, people are still going to be looking at it as this is an incredible feat of confidence because I'm glad it's not me standing up there. Mm. And I think, as you said, it's about being human, about being approachable and sympathetic, which allows people to then give you the benefit of the doubt. It's, it's slightly different when people pre present an air of invincibility. Yes. Because once they demonstrate or uh, convey that they're invincible, as soon as there is one chink in the armor, people say, okay, well, you're not who you say, you, you, this is false advertising. Yes. You're not who you say you are. Whereas, yeah, absolutely. My, my, my other question was just around the fact that this isn't going to be everybody's experience. So you're talking about starting a new initiative in a completely new environment. Now, would you say this principle doesn't work if you're starting a new initiative in an existing environment? Can you skip this step? I still firmly believe that even if you're currently in that arena, you still need to get your, your, your ducks in line. By that I mean you need to understand who's for you, who can you rely on, who are your stakeholders, because you're not going to do that touchdown on your own. Um, it's n if, if you can do it on your own, it's not that big a deal. Mm. You are going to need other people to help you drive it. And thus that critical reflection on who could potentially influence this is essential. And, and just take time to sit back and think, okay, if this was to have excelling um, success, who would have to be involved and what would they have to do? So from a business perspective, um, which partnerships might you have to develop and strengthen? Um, which individuals and influencers might you have to ensure are on side and you communicate with, over communicate with regularly so that you have your optimum goal? And once you map this out, then you can actually start to think, okay, how do you convey that vision? And how do you monitor and evaluate the process throughout? And I think to add to that, one of the most important things to remember whether you're in an existing team or a newly established team, is that people change. The person who was the lazy so-and-so who didn't want to do anything could some could out of nowhere get a spark of inspiration and become mm. your best player. Yep. Um, the person who was your most effective team member could, for instance, have difficulty in their home life and therefore have to take a step back. Now, without that regular forming mentality of what are the resources, human resources that I have uh, in front of me and where are they currently, where is their headspace? You don't really know that. You don't know who's actually gonna be the one that is driving this. You may think it's your normal star player, but that star player might have an injury. 
Yes. And therefore, you're going to have to rely on somebody else or build someone else up. So I think even if you're in, a, in an existing environment, it's important not to walk into it with assumptions. Oh, this person always performs and therefore they're going to still perform. That might be true. But if you are overworking people who are dealing with other capacity challenges, that may build resentment. Mm. Are you over-relying on the same people to deliver? And is that leading to burnout? Is that leading to um, disdain? Is that leading to these people questioning your leadership? Because they're basically doing what they think is your job for you. So I think having those one-to-one conversations even in an existing team, is a great way of making sure that you just know where people's minds are. Does somebody in your team want a promotion? Do they feel like they've been operating at the same level for for long enough? Do they want your job? (laughs) Um, And is there a way that you can facilitate their own personal growth? Um, So I think that's really important. And I think an offshoot from that is just understanding the different characteristics understanding the different personality types within your team um if everybody in the team was a coordinator then it wouldn't be an effective team because you'd have no runners runners i love that phrase you'd have no runners so ensuring that you've got a good mix of capability within your team is absolutely key Previously, you mentioned uh, you started to become about motivations, and you spoke about motivations extensively beforehand. But I think it needs to be really um, shared now because mm-hmm. there are many people who will assume that everyone else has their own motivations when that's not necessarily the case. Um, people mm-hmm. are driven by different things. So, I would like you to elaborate on pe- different motivations that um, individuals might have, stakeholders might have. But before that, you did mention that. One of the motivations might be that someone might want your job. And we almost laugh at that. But that should be the case. Um, you should be leading people who want your position. And as a leader, you should, your eyes should open with enthusiasm and excitement when you find someone like that. Yeah. Um, to steal Maxwell's phrase, the greatest leaders develop other leaders. And so consequently, your passion and your objective must be to get them into your position, not through the um, the nervousness of you potentially losing your job, because any effective organization will realize, actually, if you can replicate yourself, you are the most valuable person in your organization. Mm. But through the pursuit of you knowing, actually, if you can get them to think on a higher level, to be um, as efficient as you are, you are increasing the strength of the organization. Um, I say that because I know I have an individual who I'm going to be working with who who does. And we already had that conversation. And that's great because my challenge now is to get him to that position. Um, but yes, if you could continue just elaborating on motivations and the importance of us knowing people's motivations and drivers. Um, when I first started working after graduating i remember i was in a very very uh hard working team we would all put in a difficult shift this was um doing doing a lot of engineering design work we would always put in a difficult shift and we were actually delivering for a customer who was very demanding and understandably so because we'd actually missed a couple of our deadlines so there was a gentleman who sat across from me who was incredibly hardworking and would be the person I always went to for insight and advice when it came to um, queries or questions that I had as a graduate in my first role. And I'll never forget, there was one day that he was having a conversation with my boss and they were having this conversation in the open plan floor. I say conversation, but it wasn't really a conversation. It was a flat-out debate. Raised voices, like incredibly uncomfortable for people watching because they were really passionate about their jobs. However, as soon as the clock went 4.30, the debate stopped in mid-flow. They both put on their jackets, 
and they both left. <laughs> and this was a Thursday. The gent who would sit across from me went under his desk, pulled out a fishing rod, <laughs> and said, see you Monday. Now, the reason why I say that story is because this man's role was as a senior engineer and he had turned down various promotions at various different points in his career. He was very good at what he did. And when you're very good at what you do technically, sometimes people make the mistake of believing that you're a manager. Mm. He wasn't. Mm. He was very good at what he did and to the point that he could have a conversation with my boss and my boss would 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 entertain it because yeah. my boss knew that this person was incredibly knowledgeable. Yes. However, as soon as his shift was over, he loved the fact that he could literally go under his desk, pull out his fishing rod and have a long weekend. And senior management couldn't do that. And that's something that people need to remember. That's something that was a bit of a surprise to me as a young budding graduate who was aspiring to be CEO. Not everybody wants to be CEO. Some people want enough money so they can rent a nice boat, have the latest fishing rod and spend the weekend not thinking about work. Some people do want that CEO role one day and are going to push to be as successful as they can. Some people don't care about money. Some people are about changing the world. They could have a minimum wage job, which involves them impacting poverty or impacting um, injustices in the world, and they are satisfied. Um, some people want a job title. As oddly as that sounds, some people are aspiring for the right job description or job title. And you could give them a 10K raise versus putting manager in their job title and they'll take manager. Yeah. So the reason why I say that is because it's very important to understand what drives people. Because by understanding what drives people, you can understand how to get the most uh, out of them. There's a saying in engineering, which is if you want something done efficiently, get a lazy engineer to do it. Because a lazy engineer will find the easiest, most effective way so that they can go back to doing what they're doing. Building boats. Yep, building boats. Out of um, two picks. <laughs> whatever floats their boat. Um, so that's a roundabout illustration of why I think it's important just to understand what makes people tick and understand their motivations. Once we understand why people are motivated, we can we can push certain levers in order to support them. So if we go back to the idea of somebody wanting your job, I've done this in the past where I've worked with people who want to be in my position and said, let's write your CV. Um, what I mean by that is I don't mean I'm going to sit down and write your CV for you, but I'm going to create bullet points within your CV. By the end of this year, you are going to have a bullet point in your CV which said, increased efficiency by 70% by doing X. Let's make that a reality. We're going to put a bullet point in your CV which says increased order intake by 12% by doing Y. And you're going to say, this is what I've done and this is why I should receive the promotion. And I think by working with people who have that level of ambition and by saying, I'm going to support you with that ambition, you get them on side and you get them being some of your most uh effective supporters so i think that's extremely valuable because what we're hearing are really succinct practical steps which can be taken to help improve members of your team one writing ambitious goals scrap that achievements and working backwards so you want this position this is what I've done. This is what really you'll need to do. Let's write the accomplishment. And a year from now, 18 months from now, let's review how close we are to it. Um, 
also having those explicit conversations with people around what are their motivations? You were speaking about people's motivations there and what I've taken from it is I'm actually going to ask people flat out, what, what drives you to do this role? Mm. And I find that really interesting because I don't think I've ever been explicitly, there've been very few occasions where I've been asked that explicitly and it's always been by superior superiors. <laughs> when you're in the room with someone who is way beyond your pay grade. But I think it's a powerful question which we should all be asked. One, the individual might struggle initially to articulate it, which is okay, because they're not used to being asked it. Um, but in the process of them thinking about it and talk helps out the thought process, which helps our, our growth, they should slowly become better and stronger at what they do and understand why it's important. But two, they will remember that you were the person who posed that question. We all remember who taught us specific expensive lessons or specific extremely valuable lessons. And we hold that individual in high regard because we see them as a sage. We see them as someone who is knowledgeable and, and able to improve them. And thus you gravitate close to that person because everyone intrinsically wants to grow. That's it. And I think when, when it comes to the personal motivations of people, it also highlights a need for a somewhat different approach. Because once you understand, okay, well, this person is motivated by this, it's not going to, it's not going to work if I encourage them that there's going to be a salary increase at the end of this because they're not they don't care about that it's not going to work if i tell this person that they might get a promotion if they work if they continue working harder because that person doesn't care about that the way that you communicate with people changes once you understand what's driving them um, and it also can teach you a few things about yourself as well i think sometimes listening to some of the junior people within my team and what motivates them, it actually is a bit embarrassing because it makes me realize that I've lost a lot of the uh, idealism, I've lost a lot of the um, mm. enthusiasm that I had when I was a, a, a junior um, professional. So I think that conversation works both ways. I think sometimes it sparks something. And it also develops, it develops a little bit more intimacy with the people that you're working with because what motivates people is a is a vulnerable question you know it's a personal question yes and i would also encourage people if they are asking that question you know what motivates you to ask themselves that question as well what how are you being motivated what is your motivation and really if you don't know the answer to that then really delve deep I've had a couple of conversations with people who tell me about what their motivations are, but it always stops short. And we've spoken about this in the past. A lot of our motivations stop short at the surface and don't necessarily address people's values. And sometimes people don't want to reveal that information, but many of our motivations are linked to our insecurities. Mm. So if you're able to delve into why people are, are motivated the way they are, what their insecurities are, then I think you're able to help reinforce, encourage, strengthen, motivate in, in different ways. So I would, I'd really encourage people to, to delve into that. Definitely. So currently we're speaking about the creation of really thought-provoking, long-term performance and progress-related questions um, mm. and, and, and the powers in the question for those people who've listened to the podcast beforehand we've always said that the, the questions that we ask are are critical um, plan the questions that you are going to pose in these one-to-one -one meetings and um, you are a, a small to medium-sized business and you are about to have a meeting with someone who you know is highly influential have you planned your questions beyond how did you start let, let's get let's deeper than that. Real, <laughs> ask real questions. Ask genuine, real questions. Because they all appreciate it. 
and it will open them up to have a real conversation with you, which means actually divulging information which is kept hidden, not because they're keeping it secret, but because no one's actually asking them the real questions. Everyone's skating across the surface. I, I can imagine people listening right now are thinking about, okay, we're, we're, we're thinking about that critical mass. We're thinking about those people who are compliant, those people who are on side, or there's an element of um, reservation, but you're converting them. What about the objectors? What do we do there? And I was, I was pleased when, when I was speaking to you about this earlier, you introduced me to um, a framework which I hadn't come across beforehand. I'd always come across, well, you have those who, who can and will, those who can and won't, those who can't and won't. Um, and there's, an, there's another um, group within that quadrant. And I was identifying, okay, where do, do individuals fit? Who are the objectors, both the, the vocal and the passive objectors? because you have those who you might not hear, but they passively resist change. And those one-to-one meetings might help you to understand why they do so. It might be due to their motivators, the motivations. They might not have bought into your motivation. It might not be akin to what drives them. Um, but for those who are downright objectors, um, what do you say to them? Well, you've got two different approaches when, when it comes to an objector. So um, the framework that I discussed refers to people in an in-group or in an out-group. So the people in your in-group are the people who understand that a job role often will mean going outside of their comfort zone or outside of their uh, prescribed job description in order to deliver the end result. Somebody who's in the out-group isn't really interested in delivering on a project. They are interested in keeping a job. Mm -hmm. um, and which means that they will attempt to do, as I used to say when I used to work in a call center, the bare minimum in order to, to, to keep their role. Now, those people can be very dangerous because those people can encourage other people to do the bare minimum. If I am doing the bare minimum and taking away a paycheck every week or every month, why would somebody who is going the extra mile going to continue and persistently exceed expectations? So these people can be very dangerous because they can bring in certain philosophies which are actually uh, opposing your, your objective. What I would say is that those people can be split into two camps even further. So these are people who can be converted and people who can't be converted. So why, why would we find somebody who is potentially a hard worker underachieving or doing the bare minimum? Well, one reason is burnout. If this individual was an effective person, but maybe was working well beyond their capacity without very much acknowledgement or support, then that person may have just been completely uh, disenfranchised and no longer wants to deliver. And that mm. person is now coasting. Those people can be saved because they had motivation within them. Chances are that one of the reasons why that person is not performing effectively is because that person is shopping around their CV without you knowing. So their mind is in two different places. Now, with those people, as you've already said, having that conversation early on is absolutely paramount. What motivates you? And let's not, let's not do the corporate stuff where people are saying what they think needs to be heard. We need to lay it out on the table, which is how are you doing and what's motivating you? Because once you actually delve into how they, what their mind state actually looks like, you can then actually start to diagnose the issue and then prescribe a solution to it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's absolutely key to understand some of the levers that force people into that space of 
lack of motivation. If that person feels like they've been been negatively treated for a long period of time, then you will, it will potentially take a very long time to, to turn that around. So that's one example. So people who potentially can, as you said, but won't. Now there's other people who are in that same group who have no interest whatsoever and never really had an interest in delivering. Now, it's the same approach with these people. You delve into the question, what is your motivation? How are you doing, etc. Now, the difference is that with the people who can be converted, you probably get somewhere with them in your conversation. Um, with the people who can't be converted, I would argue that it's like speaking to a psychopath. Yes. They will look at you dead in the eye. Let's think about Weapon X here. They will look at you dead <laughs> in the eye, nod and agree with everything that you're saying, and then go on to disobey or disregard <laughs> all of the comments that you've shared. And after going through this process, I would say a few times, maybe three times, of having that discussion, seeing the, the glazed-over look in their eyes, and seeing them continue to underachieve and potentially infect others around them, that's the point where you have to make a difficult decision. The decision isn't immediately to get rid of this person, but the decision is to put in place parameters, put in place targets for them to achieve. If they are not able to achieve those targets, which you need to get them to agree on, then the best thing to do is to let that individual go. Yes. Have the conversation. Make it absolutely clear that you are unhappy with their performance. Set performance-related targets for them to achieve. If they are unable to achieve those targets, then they are not fulfilling their job description. And therefore, the best thing for them and the best thing for you is for them to find other work. Hard thing to say, but ultimately what you do not want is for that person's ethos to impact anybody else in the team. We've probably heard this thing in the past where corporate CEOs of FTSE 500 companies will come into a new role and get rid of the leadership team or get rid of 10% of the workforce. Yep. And I feel like this is somewhat of a brash approach but I know it has the desired effect of waking people up to the fact that this is not a job for life if you are mm. not performing apt um, very succinctly said it's, it's interesting because many people will be able to empathise with situations like that where they've come across Weapon X and if you don't know who Weapon X is, you need to go back to some of our earlier episodes. Um, <laughs> they are dangerous. They can be cancers. And we're, we're talking about culture here and how cultures are very intangible things which form over time. And as a leader, you are consciously trying to set the tone, the mood, the climate almost within a culture. But there will be other people doing the same thing. So it's important to ensure that you're influencing the influencers. For those people who are from um, the, the small and medium-sized business or are about to potentially launch, some of their stakeholders might not necessarily be people that they have recruited mm. um, because they cannot actually afford to pay them right now. Um, and or people that they interviewed or would have wanted to interview. And um, when we spoke about this earlier, you mentioned yep, it could easily be mum or uncle who is part of the team immediately. Influencing them is slightly different because what you have then is a hierarchy shift. And it's, it's very interesting when you're talking about influence because immediately people are making judgments as to whether you are good enough to influence them, which is why I spoke about core values and moral purpose previously. Um, they are going to judge you give them an accurate assessment of who you are. And if they still do not follow sh after you showing your competence and your values, then you have to part ways. How do we effectively influence 
those who have been inherited in that form and you cannot necessarily get rid of. I'm talking for the small and medium-sized business owner who's listening right now, whose um, first employee was themselves. The second employee was their brother, who they were able to get to do six hours on a Saturday, who's also 15 years old. And their third employee is their mum, who helps on occasions on Friday evenings. Well, I think the first thing to take into consideration it's not a popular thing to say but i'll say it which is some working relationships are untenable and it's very important to identify that early on there's a reason why people say you shouldn't go into into business with your friends there's a reason why people say you shouldn't live with your friends because you start to identify parts of their character which in a friendship style relationship is charming but in a business relationship is disruptive destru- destructive uh, upsetting um, and keeps you up at night so I, I think the first thing is really identify or try to determine whether the relationship is actually a productive one or not because this person who you love could actually be destroying your business from the inside mm. now that said we can't always be uh, we we aren't always able to pick from the cream of the crop when we're in small businesses and we may have to operate within the parameters that we have so what can we do in order to ensure that the team is working most effectively so i would say two things first of all it's about vision Making sure that your vision for the business is absolutely clear. But before making sure your vision for the business is clear, making sure that your stakeholders, your employees, your staff, your mum, your uncle, whoever it might be, make sure that they are able to share an unfiltered view of their vision for the business. Understand how that differs. Because we often think that we're on the same page with a lot of things, and most of the time we're not. So just ask the question, you know, what do you see for the business? What do you see with with regard to your role in the business in the future? And capture it, understand it. And then understand your perspective and see how it may differ. And then the question is, what can you do together to help bridge that gap? And there will be a gap. If there isn't a gap, then somebody in that story is lying. There will always be a gap between what you want to achieve and what they want to achieve. So there is a, a need for a discussion around how do you get your visions aligned so that you're actually working productively. Mm. That's number one. The number two is data. Thank God for data, because when we are data-driven, we have objective metrics that we can use to measure performance. Now, there needs to be a threshold, which is what is the minimum that this person needs to achieve so that they are not losing me money? And what would good look like from a data perspective, whether it is number of products sold, number of customers engaged with, number of complaints dealt with, number of um, followers added per week, on social media, whatever that metric is that that individual is responsible for, what is the minimum that they need to achieve so that they are not actually a cost to the business, both morally um, or financially? And what does good look like? And agree that with them, because then we're moving away from just do your best. We're moving away from you know, let's try a little bit harder next time. Which is often some of the types of conversations that we might have vaguely with the people in our circle. You know, let's really do our best this week or let's really push, you know, and you know, the stakeholder, your employee, your staff member, uncle will say, I did exactly what I could. I did my best. But if it's not measurable, then you've got nothing to actually go back to that individual with and say, well, I know you said you were going to do your best, but you just really haven't hit this target. And you haven't hit this target for three months in a row. And I can hit this target. 
um, so-and-so can hit this target, but you are unable to hit this target. So therefore, potentially, you're not a right fit for this role. Let's maybe try doing something else. It's harsh when we're talking about family members. It's not easy whatsoever. But if you remember the analogy that your business is one of your children, do you want your child looked after by a neglectful family member? There are members of your family who you love to go to dinner with, who you would love to go to the cinema with, but you wouldn't trust to look after your child. That should be the same approach when it comes to your business. Once again, we're hearing that we are all data-driven companies and data is your friend, use it. Um, data is a, a negative stigma in certain quarters and I largely believe it's because people would like to remain in the sphere of being vague and ambiguous. Um, Absolutely. Data allows you to know when you have missed and we all need to have a target so we can be succinct. And we're also hearing about over-communicating a vision, a tangible vision where the rationale of long-term objectives and initiatives are being shared and you're reviewing the, the pitfalls, so you're implementing, monitoring, reviewing, um, with the opportunity to celebrate quick wins. I think the, the last thing I'm gonna say um, within the first episode of this series is in your first quarter, your first 100 days of launching that new initiative, of being that new leader, um, identify a coach to guide your strategy or intent, your strategic intent. Because yes, as we previously stated, you have done a great deal of prior research. You've gathered a, a, as much tacit knowledge as possible, but now you are in it. You are literally on the front line and all of the theory goes out the window once you've been punched in the face, as the great philosopher Mike Tyson said, everyone's got yep. a plan until they get punched in the face. Who do you go to? A lot of the strategies that we've suggested actually um, require coaching abilities, you coaching another, improving their capabilities, that idea of servant leadership, which I strongly agree with. However, you need to be able to lean on someone else yourself to help you see clearly, to help you formalize your own views. Who could that potentially be? And again, it does not necessarily need to be individuals within your specific industry, but it must be a highly effective, competent individual who has recorded success in some kind of field because success leaves clues and it's surprising how universal leadership is. Um, whether I'm reading about leadership within the world of pedagogy and education or from MBA manuals, the same phrases are being used because leadership is leadership. To yep. quote Maxwell, everything rises and falls on leadership. So the last thing from me, identify a coach to help you synthesize your thoughts and your strategy to ensure that there is a clear strategic intent in terms of what you are doing and that you are not merely firefighting. Well said. Um, the last thing for me is to remember the importance of trust within your organization and within your team. Definitely. Reciprocal faith in others' intentions and behaviors is how I would put it. You can't operate effectively in an environment where you distrust the people that you work with. And people are not going to perform effectively if they distrust you. So identify the ways that you can build and strengthen trust so that you know that the individuals in your team are going to work to their best and they can believe that you will be doing the same. When you have trust in the team, I think you're able to overcome a lot of challenges that come about. So I would encourage people to make sure like you deliver and you build on that trust. If there are people in your team that you don't trust, delve into the reasons why you do not trust them. If you are an untrustworthy leader, do not be surprised if people do not work for you effectively. So that would be the last point from me. Mm. I've enjoyed that. Um, me too. Really, really useful. And 
useful on a personal level because this is my mechanism of helping me to synthesize my thoughts because this is real and this is going to happen and will not be the last time that it does happen. Um, I encourage us all to pursue change because change is growth. And in the process of change and growth, we will be placed in new environments where we have to encounter new people. And you're an influencer. Absolutely. So for me, um, Merry Christmas, everyone. And do have a happy new year. Oh, of course. Is this our last episode before Christmas? It, it is. Point. It is. Merry Christmas, everyone. We should have said that right at the beginning. Have a fantastic Christmas. It's been a difficult year full of challenges um and yeah we're just glad that you guys have you know ridden with us through this year you know we, we tried to do something different tried to do something new and we're still figuring it out we're still learning we're still far below our first one our first 100 episodes mm. so you know we, we, we appreciate you sticking with us and helping us shape the future of this 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 podcast um yeah that's it for me genuinely genuinely Thank you all and God bless. Take care, everyone.